Hello, I'm Amber Athey, Washington editor of The Spectator, and I'm here to tell you about our fantastic new election offer. Go to spectator.us slash election offer and subscribe to get three months free access to The Spectator US website and our new app available on the Apple and Google Play stores. Make sure you're getting the very best coverage and commentary in the run-up to November 3rd. Find out more at spectator.us slash election offer. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. I'm joined today by Tim Stanley, who is a leader writer and columnist at the Daily Telegraph. And we're going to be asking if conservatives should be happy about Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election. Tim, I should start by saying that not all Trumpists have given up on this election. And and there are some people within Trump world who think that it might all be undone and that uh, Trump may end up somehow winning this election. Let's sort of talk about that briefly. You think this is done and you're relieved that this election is over. It doesn't really matter what I, what I think, and it also doesn't matter what CNN thinks. Uh, one bit of sympathy I have with the Trumpists is I reject utterly the idea that when the media declares that an election's over, that means it's over. That's not constitutionally how it works. Elections are really decided by the contenders themselves, by the courts and by Congress. And if there's a legitimate case for reviewing votes, uh, then uh, the Republicans have every right to pursue that. And I have, I suspect they will. It ultimately will be a political decision as to whether or not this election rolls on. It comes down to when we reach the point at which Trump realises there is no route to staying in the White House, and that's when he leaves. But nonetheless, I, I do have a little bit of sympathy for some who say it's presumptuous uh, to declare it's over just because the networks have decided it's over. Have you seen anything in the the legal complaints that um, the Trump administration are making in the sort of allegations of voter fraud? Have you seen anything that you think no. looks substantial? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> there's nothing. And this is one of the slightly frightening things about the online online world that a lie or a misunderstanding or an old story can go all the way around the world and come back at you as the truth. Mm. Uh, and, and I do genuinely think that that's a bit frightening. But the, the, the problem the Republicans have got here is that the central accusation is that they suspect that uh, postal votes were in some way harvested. It's impossible to prove that. Very, very difficult to prove that. This is not the same situation as 2000 when you're saying the votes were miscounted, although they claim that in some cases that has happened. Wait to see whether or not that's been proven. But what you can't really prove is what it is they are claiming. And studies from the past suggest that it's a tiny fraction that uh, do get harvested. And also, as someone pointed out, it's actually much cheaper and easier to win an election fairly than it is to cheat. It takes an awful lot of of logistic effort to steal an election. And the Democrats probably didn't have to this time around. So I can't see these court cases making a huge material difference. I think you're right. I mean, my view of it is that the Trumpists seem to be alleging too many different things. They haven't settled on one conspiracy yet. It's dead people voting, but it's also fraudulent ballots but it's also a bit of computer software 
and they haven't quite found one big conspiracy yet to to get behind, which suggests that they're a bit desperate for one. And if I can just add that back in, I think, August, the Democrats wargamed what would happen in this election, because both sides knew that with this vast number of people voting by post, it was going to be controversial. Are you talking the Demo- about the Transition Integrity Project? That's correct. They warmed game this back in the summer, and they worked out that it was probably, that if it was very close, what Trump would do was uh, claim that the votes were fraudulent. So all of this has been predicted. And of course, at the same time, the Republicans worked out it was going to be very close. And at the same time, the Republicans decided the Democrats would try and steal it. So none of what's happened in the last week is in any way a surprise. And it's, it's really a product of this novelty of so many people voting by post. But don't forget that in, de- in American elections, it almost always turns litigious. Mm. This, this is what happened. And don't forget that in the same way that the Republicans will now spend the next couple of years claiming the Democrats stole this election, the Democrats spent Trump's term claiming that he had stolen the election. Yes. So I'm afraid faith in the process died a long time ago. Americans do love to sue each other at any given opportunity. That's, yes. a, fair, that's a fair thing to say. <laughs> uh, but, well, let's get past the, the sort of wrangling over what actually happened, what the result actually was. And, and, and let's say that Joe Biden has won this election. He is going to be the fourth, 46th president of the United States. You greet this news, judging from your Twitter feed in a conversation we've had before this podcast, as a good thing. A good thing? I'm, well, I, I'm not... I'm not... <laughs> Oh gosh, I don't think I'm in a. I don't think I'm in a position to judge. I, I I've always taken the view with America that I am there to analyze. I'm an outsider. Uh, I'm I'm not passing a moral verdict. I, I have my own personal opinion on certain issues, but I I think the last four years under Trump has been so morally complicated and complex that I I, I think it would be silly for someone an outsider to say one way or the other how people should have voted or what the right outcome was. Yes. What I would say from a conservative point of view is there are reasons to be cheerful and that the cloud has a silver lining. We're actually not quite sure what the result in the Senate is yet. That, by the way, has also been called rather presumptuously by the Republicans who Mm. assume they've held on to it. There are, in fact, a couple of Georgia runoffs that could go the wrong way because Georgia is now a very seriously competitive state. But the Republicans did well in the House there is a conservative balance on the Supreme Court. In other words, Joe Biden's feet can be held to the fire. And the critical thing is that for about two decades, Republicans have been obsessed or conservatives have been obsessed with this fear of replacement, with this idea that there's a demographic shift taking place in America that favours the left. It's the rise of basically non-white voters. The bottom of it, that's what conservatives are worried about. But actually, this election showed that non-white voters will can vote Republican and, in fact, vote for an incredibly right-wing Republican. Mm. And some of where Trump picked up uh, are among the growing demographics in American life, like Latinos. So uh, if I was an institutional Republican, I would say, well, look, I've lost Donald Trump, who did my party's reputation no favours among the young and many other groups. But I'm still in a strong position. The Republican Party could easily come back in the midterms and retake control of the House. And things could be set up very nicely for 2024. It's possible that this election is not like 1992, but it's like 1976, if that makes sense. That uh, in 1976, you had Jimmy Carter being elected largely on the issue of character because it was a post-Watergate election. Mm. And there was an initial sense that this was a transformatory moment in American life. And it actually turned out he just wasn't up to the job. He did a very bad job. And the real story was that beneath the radar, conservatives were doing much better. 
that could happen this time around. It could be that Trump is actually onto something in terms of his politics, if not his personality. Character lost the Republicans the election. But who knows, maybe in four years' time they will reap the whirlwind of a general reaction against the left, because much of what the left stands for is probably not very popular among many swing voters. Well, I suppose that throws up the interesting question, who is the post-Trump Reagan figure in that scenario? But also, I think what you're saying makes me wonder if perhaps the Bush-era Republican Party and its obsession with getting more Hispanic votes, with increasing its African-American share of the vote, were going about it by entirely the wrong way because they were trying to appeal through political correctness, which is how privileged white people try and appeal to minorities. Same mistake as David Cameron. Same Same mistake. No, seriously, same mistake as the liberal conservatives. They were embarrassed by their own party. They were embarrassed by their own philosophy and its history. And they assumed the only way that you could win those growing groups of voters was by reaching out to a mythical centre ground and being PC. And the result was what? Well, apart from 2015, David Cameron was not a big electoral sell. It actually took Boris Johnson, who supposedly hates Muslims because of his burqa column and all that sort of thing. It actually took Boris Johnson to win a convincing majority. Uh, Likewise, it could be that the Republican under Bush, their their obsession with the idea that the way to win Latinos was to be pro-immigration and speak Spanish. Trump wasn't was not pro-immigration, was not going to pretend he could speak any Spanish, turned out to be wrong. It, uh, actually, you can... And that's exciting, isn't it? Because well, I, it, I, think because it's much... I think what's particularly struck me was that, according to the initial exit polls, I don't know if there's been any more up-to-date data on this, but Muslim, American Muslims voted by a huge share, I think up, up 12 points or something. Absolutely. And, and these exit polls come with a big caveat, because some of those results I find really hard to believe. That was one insane one that gave him 62% of Catholic votes or something like that. I can't believe that. <laughs> there are other ones which showed the number of his support among LGBTQ citizens doubling, which is up to a, roughly a third. That's pretty impressive. But it's exciting because you see the left sees the way to win as to treat people like blocks of voters. You're a woman, are you? Right. Okay. well, here, vote for me because I have these policies that are friendly to women. The right traditionally sees people as individuals and tries to win them over on the arguments. I don't care about the fact that you're gay or black or whatever. What I'm saying to you is we need strong borders and lower taxes. Now, until very recently, it looked as though the left strategy was working, and it, and it has. It's worked again, probably. But in the long run, maybe that philosophical thing of sticking to your guns and arguing on principles, maybe it'll work. Well, maybe it will, but maybe the Republican Party will take all the wrong lessons, because they tend to do this, from this defeat. And they will say, not just that Trump was wrong, but that Trumpism is wrong. And they will try and sort of orchestrate a coup against their own party now because their party is the party of Trump as far as voters are concerned. Yeah, they, they, they probably will try and do that. But my suspicion is it won't work for two reasons. One, because many of the people who would have left that, who would have led that, have left the party. Uh, they have compromised themselves far too much. The never Trumpers, who are a significant group of well-connected, powerful people, by throwing their lot in with Biden, are not going to be in charge of this party in four years' time. Well, some of them may and even be in a Biden cabinet. If some of the, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? John Kasich, people like that might, might end up working for Biden. The other reason is that the grassroots Republicans have changed. I mean, they, of course, they're still the same old people. I mean, golly, the line from Goldwater to Trump is very easy to follow in terms of gra- grassroots support. But they seem to be sold on Trump in a way that surprised me in 2016. I was surprised by the ideological shift beneath our feet in conservative politics. 
but they seem to be there now. And you only have to look at the response to the election and the number of people who are saying it's a stitch up that shows that they, they buy into the Trump narrative. And, and so therefore, any candidate in, in four years time who wants to be uh, who wants to have a serious shot at this nomination is going to have to win Trump's support. One reason that I'm surprised that you're perhaps a little more sanguine than I might expect you to be about Biden's presidency is foreign policy. I mean, Biden has supported every wrong war for the last 30 years. I have friends who are obviously very anti-Trump and they've been texting me saying things like, we need to get the nuclear codes off by, off Trump's hands now and stuff like that. And I think <laughs> I'd much rather Trump had the nuclear codes than Biden, frankly. Yeah. On foreign policy, I rate Trump very highly. I like Jimmy Carter's foreign policy. He said he left office and he said the the best thing about me was that I didn't that no one died in combat under my under my watch. Yeah. That's a very rare thing for for a president to say. And I think the same is true of Trump. The, the warmonger that they called him that was preposterous. For goodness sake, he flew to Singapore to meet Kim Jong Un. I mean, he has gone out of his way. He has spent a great deal of personal and political capital trying to bring peace. It was working and he's largely kept America out of conflicts. I agree with you. By contrast, we know who's going to be running the Biden administration. I mean, we can almost list the people, Susan Rice, Samantha Power. We know who's going to be running the Council for Foreign Relations in the same way that we can pretty much guess who'll, who will be running his economic policy. It's mm. Wall Street. It's the yeah. same people who ran it under the Clintons and under Obama. Again, we could probably list the names. That's very frustrating. It's not a question of sanguinity about Biden, however, so much as it's a sense of confusion about Trump and what Trump represented. Mm. it's not that I'm necessarily happy that Biden won. It's that I'm not quite sure still at this stage how to feel about Trump. Yes. I wasn't sure how to feel about him when he won. And I'm still uncertain four years later how I do feel. On paper, he's done a lot of things that I philosophically agree with and like. And in fact, he's, a, he's much better than George W. Bush and, and all, almost all of those things. But you still have this problem of the moral compromise. And I, I don't think conservatives can walk away from the moral compromise because one thing they're supposed to be about is civility and decency. And it's very hard to square every accusation that the right has thrown at the left when it comes to language and religion and morality with Donald Trump. It's, it's, it's something we've never resolved. I wonder now if for a lot of conservatives who probably would have, if Trump had been re-elected, who may well have got fed up of the chaotic confusion and the and the sort of the seemingly great achievements that actually ended up not really being much in reality, uh, if they would have... We were never going to go to Mars. (laughs) I can tell you that now. We might have made it as far as the moon. And then he would lie and say that was Mars, by by many people's definition. Well, I wonder if if now Trump will, will be a much greater president in a lot of people's minds because he failed to be re-elected. I mean, he can be seen as having been thwarted in a way he wouldn't have been if he'd won, obviously. And I think there's an element of truth in that. One of the stories of Trump's presidency is how hard it was to be Donald Trump for four years, because he came in with his party against him, the bureaucracy against him, the military against him. I'm I'm working on an essay, uh, I'm going to start work on it next year for an edited collection about Trump and administrative policy, which sounds like the driest element of politics, it's actually the most important. Mm. When you get into the White House, how do you get things done? He didn't have anyone who could help him get stuff done. Mm. His initial hires were either incompetents who were just attached to his campaign and they were long-term friends. They were people who he chose almost at random, like Rex Tillerson, who were never on board with his effort, 
or they were sort of long-term uh, Washington people who very quickly turned out to be a creature of the bureaucracy. What he didn't have was capable administrators who agreed with his agenda and got it done. He began to get them towards the end. When the Republicans lost the House, when it was obvious that uh, a legislative agenda was off the table, he began to govern through executive actions. And dare I say, that's when things got a bit more constructive and the achievements started to mount up. Mm. I actually think that when Donald Trump was directly controlling things from the Oval Office, when the line from his Twitter feed to policy was much shorter, I think actually he, he became a far more effective president. But a very serious part of his story is that he wasn't allowed to do the things he wanted to do from day one. And that was a big problem. And so if there is to be a, a Trumpist figure in 2024 who emerges and, and rides a, a red wave to victory, presumably they need to have a more clear idea of policy and a clearer agenda for reform beyond just sort of make America great. Yeah. I, I first of all, do not rule out a Trump running. That is not a joke, whether it be the man himself, although he may just be too old, although I don't think that would stop him, or Ivanka or Donald Jr. Uh, Jr. has spent the last year or so building a political brand with a book, with personal appearances, and he's become very effective as a stump speaker. People are cruel about Jr. They shouldn't be. He has taken this opportunity to learn the ropes. Mm. Ivanka, meanwhile, aside from being generally respected and generally thought of as the sort of part of the power couple within the White House, and she, she and Jared may have had a great deal of influence over strategy in this election, particularly, particularly in terms of reaching out to ethnic minorities, she has made a couple of steps in the last few weeks which are very interesting, which includes a very pro-life statement and backing up her father. She is better to position than she was four years ago to play a significant role in politics in the next four years. And she has obviously decided to tie herself to her father and to his legacy. So don't dismiss any of them. Meanwhile, there are, there are some other people in the wings who are willing to take that mantle, including some older types like Marco Rubio, who are going to try and present themselves as the next Trump. We will probably also spend two to three years writing columns about will Tucker Carlson run. <laughs> and I will say now Tucker Carlson will not run, but I will write several columns about will he run and why he should <laughs> run and why he'd be fantastic, but he won't. So, so who knows where it will come from, but it'll be someone from within the Trump stable. The other final wild card is Pence, who I feel has been rather quiet in the last few days, yes. which I think is interesting. Well, I thought it was interesting. He did issue a kind of, it sounded a slightly hurried statement saying how much he was behind the president, because I think someone must have said to him, uh, you, you need to say you better do this yeah. quickly because it's looking like you're on maneuvers. But yeah. I think I mean, I think Pence is the is the bookie's favorite and probably rightly so to to take on the mantle of Trumpism at the moment. And he is. But he is not Trump instinctively. Uh, the, the interesting question is, can you separate Trump and Trumpism? And perhaps you can't. Everything that made, as we've been discussing, Trump morally dubious is what also made him very appealing. It was that sense of speaking from the hip that it was, it was the medium and the message were one. Yes. And Pence looks like a machine politician. Uh, he, he is so incredibly well controlled. He is so smooth. And much of what initially grabbed your attention about Trump, he does not have. Plus, is Trump going to choose Pence over a member of his own family or himself? Yes. I don't think so. The problem with, with Trump is he has the personality of a cat. You know, you, you, the, the, there may well be some love there, but it's transactional and the cat comes first. Well, I also wonder, I mean, it's possible that Donald Trump Jr. might have this, but I wonder whether 
which of these Republicans that might replace Trump has that sort of X factor that might appeal to Latin American voters, which mm. Trump obviously has. And whether it's a kind of, you know, a caudillo factor, as some people say, perhaps slightly racistly, whether it's it's a kind of he's obviously not a privileged white person in the traditional sense, even though he is a privileged white person. I don't know what, what it is. No, I don't know either. And it would help if the media spoke to these people. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big takeaways of the election is that so much of the coverage in the weeks running up to the vote was someone from England interviewing a Republican who wasn't voting for Trump this time. Yeah. And those people existed. There were probably hundreds of thousands of them and they probably swung the election. Yes. But why did any lone reporter ever bump into someone who had voted Democrat or never before and were voting Trump this time? They never seemed to meet them. The media had a pre set narrative for this election, which is one more reason why the Trumpists are reluctant to let go, because they feel the media has been calling the shots throughout and has been building a narrative of Biden's win. I mean, of course, they're building a narrative which turned out to be true. But nonetheless, when you've got that strong sense of everyone being against you, it's very easy to convince yourself that it was stolen. It's interesting you say that kind of never Trump Republicans may have actually swung the election, even though they're a small demographic. There is some evidence to suggest that might be true. Um, There seems to have been a lot of people that voted Republican all the way down the ticket, but not for Trump. There seems to have also been quite a few uh, people who voted in key states that voted Libertarian, who might have been able to shift it for Trump. But I I tend to think, well, as you've already suggested, they are one of the smallest demographics in American politics. Yes, with a a huge voice and a lot of coverage, uh, precisely because people wanted to hear from them because they validated this narrative of it's all about decency and character. Yes. Um, and for them it was, and, and I genuinely respect that. I understand why they ended up where they did. Uh, it was a step too far. But yeah, they, they probably are actually quite small uh, and, and have far too much say. Let's talk about Joe Biden's decency and character because we're going to have to hear a lot about it and it's going to become quite sick-making. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but I think he is obviously a man who loves his family. I think Trump is too, but Trump's obviously got a more complicated family story in, in some ways. He isn't exactly sort of pure in terms of uh, his record. He's been in Washington long enough to have been corrupted by it. He was known as the senator from MBNA because of his uh, lobbying on behalf of the credit card industry. Correct. Um, There is this Hunter Biden story, which for all the uh, insistence of a lot of media that it didn't matter and it was just a right wing crock is, is odd, a little odd. And he does seem to have been connected to it somehow. Do you think we're going to learn that Biden is not the straight arrow that we've been told he is? That'll partly be down to the media and what kind of coverage it chooses to give of him. Uh, he's not going to face what Trump faced. But I I think definitions of goodness and decency might be hard to nail down in politics. Someone who's been in the Senate, what was it, 48 years? Mm. Yes, there are going to be a lot of skeletons in that cupboard and perhaps some of them will come out. But I think uh, what's being invested in him in terms of the narrative means they won't come out in quite the way that the Trumpists want. Right now, the the, the shift in gear, the emotional, rhetorical shift from uh, Trump to Biden will be so dramatic that it will be received by many people as a breath of fresh air, uh, whether it's entirely fair or not. That's the way it's going to be understood. And look, he, he clearly likes people. I th- I think the interesting thing for me personally, as a Catholic, I write a lot about Catholicism. I think Joe Biden is the living embodiment of Vatican II Catholicism. He represents a generation in the 60s of Catholics who embraced progressive values. 
And part of the interesting thing about that generation is they kept going to church. I'm not talking about later generations that just stopped believing in God and stopped going to church. Joe Biden is a serious religious Catholic. He just thinks in his mind that there is a distinction between uh, the dogma and politics. Yes. And the interesting thing is there are many young Catholics now involved in politics who see it very much the other way around. Uh, I think of a younger generation, anyone who's Catholic now tends to be far more hardcore on those things and far more committed to the dogma. So actually, the image of Catholicism that Biden presents to the public is probably quite far removed from the nature of Catholicism among many people who take it seriously. To put it one way, he's being received like a Kennedy Democrat Mm. decades after Kennedy Democrats ceased to exist. Jack Kennedy was a serious theological Catholic, as is much of the family, as certainly was his mother. Joe Biden represents a different kind of Catholic social experience. I'm not saying it's an illegitimate one. I'm not going down that path. No. But it's it's different. It's it's different. It's a very interesting point because a lot of what you hear about Biden and his faith is that it helped him cope with his immense suffering in life because he's had a lot of tragedy in his life. And I'm sure that's true. And, and again, I'm not saying that's not that's not a very good thing about Catholicism. But it's an interesting type of Catholicism. And it is sort of post-Vatican too, that it's, it's the way in which it can help you psychologically, not it's the, the truth and the one true church. And it's most people's experience of Catholicism, probably, particularly people who are born into the faith rather than who converted to it. And this is an argument I keep having with Catholics because they say, why don't I just denounce him? Because he's a quote unquote bad Catholic. And part of my answer is because he is the average Catholic you meet in the pews. That's what most of them are like. They're not, and, and it's wrong to say they're leading a double life because they, they believe one set of things, but they vote another way. I, I think that's, that's really an unfair way of putting it. It's just generationally as a cultural experience. That's what most people of that generation are like. But then again, you have his vice president, Kamala Harris, who isn't just pro-abortion, but is sort of fanatically pro-abortion. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then Biden himself uh, is, I'd say, on the... He's in line with the, the more hardline transsexual agenda in the Democratic Party. Yeah, uh, he's probably moved that way because he thought that was the way to win the nomination. That's my suspicion is that there's a there's a certain hollowness there. But again, if you, if you look at it, this has all happened before. Although this historically, I mean, he was he was a lot of people said this. He was ahead of Obama on gay marriage. Uh, That's true. But in 2008, I seem to remember when he ran for the presidency that time, he was a little more conservative on abortion still. Yes. Um, and you, you see this in the 70s when Roe, Roe v. Wade is passed by the Supreme Court. Uh, you see a whole cohort of Democrats suddenly switch to being uh, pro-abortion. Many of them then switch back and many of them become very critical of, of abortion, like Moynihan, like Tip O'Neill. They later on slightly regret the position they took. But uh, liberal identity politics and liberal constituency politics exerts a hell of a pull on Democrat politicians. They will go where the votes are and they'll also go with whoever surrounds them telling it's the right thing to do. If you're in that party now, you are not going to meet people who will tell you to take a slightly softer line on abortion because they just ain't in the party anymore. So as I I go back to people keep saying, oh, second Catholic president ever. It's like a throwback to Jack Kennedy. It's not. In terms of a social experience, the Democratic Party of 1960 is not the Democratic Party of 2020. And I would wager that much of its social values are some of the least popular elements of its platform. And it's because many people think Joe Biden is just like their their dad or their granddad that people voted for him. 
if it had been someone like Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris on the ticket, they might actually have decided, I don't want to vote for that because those people embody this present generation's woke values. Very interesting, Tim. As always, we managed to end up talking about Catholicism, which was sort of inevitable. But uh, I'm glad we did because it is uh, it is actually a very interesting part of Biden's presidency or Biden's uh, life and career. And, and, and I'll throw in one more prediction. Yes. Donald Trump will join a church. He has he's left. I think he was Presbyterian, right? He's left that church. He's now describing himself as non-denominational. I have a number of friends who have been watching this very closely. They're convinced he's on the brink of a religious moment. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a come to Jesus moment, but don't be surprised, like a lot of conservative politicians, if there's some kind of towards the end of his life conversion experience. Because who's been nice to him for the last four years? Who's been a shoulder to cry on? The evangelical Christians and the Catholics. I'll go Don't further and, and venture that he might become a Muslim because that's, <laughs> where his, that's where his vote base is in the future. <laughs> Inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, thank you very much, Tim. Uh, that was um, very interesting as always. And um, please join us again soon.